Because there's just nothing better than this. The TrojanSports.com podcast kicks off. Right now? Right now. No, no, I don't know. You said. Cock-a-doodle-doo, Bob. Oh, yeah. Direct from Rivals and Yahoo Sports. This, this is the TrojanSports.com podcast. For a USC with Trojan Sports Publisher, Chris P. Swanson. Moving on. You, love you better cut that out, man. I swear. That better, I better not hear that on the podcast. You mean about the him doing that? Yeah, we broke down. The, the Beat reporter, Adam J. Maya. Here we go. Yeah. Message boards. We start March. Yeah. It's the weekly radio show you need for everything USC. Is that your first joke? Follow Trojansports.com on Twitter at USC underscore rivals. The Trojansports.com podcast kicks off now. now, now. We're back on another edition of the Trojansports.com podcast. I'm the publisher of Trojansports.com, Chris Swanson. I'm here with our beat writer, our editor, Adam J. Maya. Adam, how are you today? I'm good. Tonight. It is tonight. It will probably be morning by the time we finish. <laughs> morning and sometime in April by the time we finish? Come on. We like to take our times with this show. I'm sure that you're looking at it on iTunes or wherever you listen to it right now, and you're seeing a big old, like, two hours to go or something uh, remaining <laughs> on this show. I have a feeling that's just how this one's going to go. We'll see if I'm right at the end of it. I hope you're wrong. I'm never wrong when it comes to these things. We have a lot to cover, that's why. We do. A lot has happened. It's been, what, two weeks since we last recorded, and we are one day into spring practice, and it was good to just wait one day. We were going to record on Monday, but I had a hunch that there would be too many things that would that we'd learn in day one, and we did, and therefore we can cover that all now. How fun. Okay. But I think the first thing I want to go over is... There are a lot of people that aren't there at spring ball. And a few that we figured wouldn't be there, but a couple more that we didn't expect. Um, it's kind of a laundry list. And it, it may be a bit of an ominous start to the year, I feel like. This 2018 season is one where already you're having to replace Sam Darnold, Ronald Jones second, Rasheem Green, Chen Nuosu, Chris Hawkins, people like that. And that, that's a, an annual thing, although I think that's a little bit more than usual. But but now you're dealing with, you got a, a running back out, a cornerback out, defensive tackle out, tight end out. You have a handful of transfers, a couple medical retirements, and another handful of injuries that are just kind of lingering. Um the, f- the first one that we did not know that uh, I think is troubling is Daniel Matarbebe, tight end. That's someone that for a while now we just figured that kid will grow up and become a star in this program. And now I just wonder, will he ever look the same as he did two years ago as a redshirt freshman? It turns out that he's being held out for spring practice because that torn quad that he suffered last June. In fact, I was there that day. It was a summer workout and kind of an innocent 
moment where he just ran over the middle and caught a pass. There was no contact made in the play. He jumped up, made a nice catch, came down, and limped off. And and, and since then, he, he's not looked right. And he kind of played through it last year. And uh, he played nine games. And I think a lot of people are wondering, why did he play? Why did he play at all if it's still an issue? And while I'm not a doctor and I'm not going to speak on behalf of you know, Ivan Lewis or their medical team, what they've said and what I understand the situation to be is that Imanur Bebe would, would lay off of it for a couple weeks and then he would feel fine. He would feel normal. And he would even make it through practice. And it's what kept happening during the fall, uh, before the season and during the season, where he felt okay. And then he'd get to the game and you'd see him and that wasn't that wasn't who we had seen the year before. I, I never I really never saw that guy that we had seen in the Washington game in twenty sixteen and you know, maybe the Colorado game and a couple others. I, I felt like he was on the verge of a breakout. We just never saw that guy. And what I think what would happen was the stress that he would put on it, he'd re aggravate it. And then he'd lay off of it again, you know, and he would be limited in practice. And he'd feel fine. That's the thing. He wasn't dealing with a lot of pain through the week. And he would get to the end of the week and he would get to the game and he'd re reaggravate it. And it made me wonder, maybe given the nature of, of their practice and really the way that they work, it, it was just undetected for him. You know, he he didn't, it wasn't straining him to practice on it because of the way that they practice. But of course, you get to a game, it's just a different ball game. And I mean, he made it through a lot of games. It wasn't that like he was constantly coming out of the game. And, you know, he, again, he did play nine games. Uh, he played the opener, then he sat out a few games. But then he basically played the, the back half of the season. He was available each week and he played. But he just wasn't as explosive. And, and that's what his game is predicated upon. So. Now he's out for spring. I thought he was a big deal. Again, I thought he'd be a big deal last year. I think this year you'd love to have that guy for your new young quarterback, whoever it ends up being. He's the best tight end on the team. They do have other good tight ends. But he could have been like a leading receiver type factor on this team. And you just hope that he gets to, to play and, and Get back to himself. I just don't know where this is, where this is going. I really don't. I just want to jump in really fast and right no, after. Don't it. make it. Yeah, go go long. Oh, I just I wanted long. to remind everybody after listening to that that Adamaya is not a medical professional. <laughs> that's all. I'm, I'm done. Yeah, I'm, I'm giving you the news. That that's that's not. These aren't my opinions in terms of what he was dealing with. You know, this is what he's actually said. He disclosed this, that it didn't bother him to practice. And then he'd play, and you saw, you know, if you were watching, you, you saw what he was and what he wasn't and how things were going. And if you saw him the year before, you knew that that wasn't the same person. He's a lot better than what he showed last year. Thank you, Dr. Maya. 
Yeah. Well, so Elgin says they're going to rest him, hoping that that muscle strain, strain is a, I think a softer word or yeah. a nicer word for the care. And uh, Elgin says they want that to heal. And therefore, they're just not having him practice, which maybe needed to happen a while back. And, and I, I, I'm not judging them or defending them. I'm telling you that they did not take this course of action sooner because he felt okay. He just didn't look okay. And I felt like maybe they needed to trust the eye test a little more because while he might have felt okay, he didn't look like himself. I'm actually surprised you started there, Adam, because I think that there's a, another injury on offense that I think is a little bit more important, and it's because uh, Ronald Jones has left USC, and that's tailback Stephen Carr. Uh, I think a lot of people expected him to kind of jump in and be special uh, in you know Ronald Jones' absence, I guess, or as his replacement. And uh, now it looks like he's out for the spring, and uh, it seems pretty serious, actually. Uh, I mean, uh, or a pretty serious injury that's keeping him out, so... Uh, I don't know. I think that this would have been a big deal to have him this spring, get him a lot of carries and, uh, you know, kind of get him prepped for that role that I think a lot of people expect him to have. And all of a sudden it looks like, you know, how quickly is he going to be back even? That's what I wonder. Uh, I know that they just started with the spring, but I mean, when they start throwing out the phrase back surgery, you know, that has me a little bit worried about when he's going to be able to come back at all. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Well, okay. Helkins said that it's about a three month rehab from surgery, which was mid February. So that would take him to May, you know, maybe June. He'll be available for training camp. It's not the foot that you want to get started on, especially at that position for multiple reasons. One car didn't play very well in the second half of the year after he returned from the plantar fasciitis. And we learned that this is part of it, that he had a knot in his back and it was pushing up against his disc and he was playing through it and it wasn't really bothering him, although kind of like a minor baby where maybe there wasn't uh, a lot of pain involved but it was hindering him. And he looked compromised. I mean, he, he really wasn't a factor in the second half of the season after being so good in that first month. You know, first month, true freshman, Carr looked like a star. And people were ready to discard Ronald Jones, like then and there, because of the way Carr was playing. Now, he got for the spring. If they had a bunch of depth at running back, then I wouldn't make much of it. Or if he wasn't coming off another injury at the end of last fall, I wouldn't make much of it. But because they don't have that depth, I mean, right now they literally have one scholarship tailback practicing, Akacentric Ware. That's the only one. Vivai Malapai is supposed to return after the spring break, so that might not be a big deal because it would only be one week. And then they're moving Dominic Davis over to tailback. I don't know if that's permanent, but I expect that to at least be the case for spring. And then they get Marquis Stepp in the fall, the freshman from Ohio, right? 
Indiana. Indiana. Excuse me. Thank you. Okay. I know he was a Notre Dame guy, Notre Dame commit one time. Um, they, got, they got him coming in the fall. He's a different kind of back. But when you only have one scholarship tailback or maybe two, I mean, even three is not that many. I just feel like it it affects what you can do in spring in terms of working on this running game. And, of course, they just replace the running back coach with Tim Dremel. Everybody's excited. We'll talk about that later on in the show. But regardless, you have to change coaches there. Um, they're going to be tinkering with that offense because not only did they replace Gillen McCullough, but they replaced Tyson Helton. The two of them both had a, you know, I would say notable imprint on this offense and what it looked like. Um, and I think they want to be a run for a offense this season. We've heard that before, but now with a new quarterback and Sam Darnold gone, you want to be a run first team. And and I think that's a way that they can, I mean, they can do fine, you know, playing that way in the Pac-12. I think they have that advantage over most of the conference. Yep. But it's going to be hard to, to, to build that kind of chemistry and foundation this spring when your best running back is not available. And now you've got to figure out where he's at in training camp. Um, you like to just think that Stephen Carr will show up in, in the summer and he'll be the same guy that he was last September. And maybe he will. But like you said, it would have been nice to just see him doing some of that stuff now. Um, it's, I, I agree with you. That is that is a, a notable injury. It's back surgery, uh, dude. That's a big deal. It's yeah. a big deal. Yeah, I mean, it's not career-threatening. You know what I mean? Like There are different levels of, of back injuries and back issues, and that is not uh, where his falls in right now. Um, it, from what I was, the way it was explained to me, this is a story that we actually broke a couple weeks ago, is that we he just that. needed to be cleaned up for, you know, which wasn't, uh, it wasn't like a major procedure. But, you know, yeah, anytime you cut through the skin, it's surgery, right? I mean, there are all different types of surgeries. Um, it is on the back. I, I understand what you're saying. Um, but I've been, the way it's been explained to me is that, this shouldn't be a serious issue for Stephen Carr. Uh, and hopefully it's not, because he really did look like he would be a star. Yeah, he did. But, he did. Right? I mean, like like best player on the team yep. type mm-hmm. guy. He was one of those freshmen where you're like, whoa, that guy is special, and that doesn't happen as often as people like to pretend that it does, really. so Not in their first month of their career. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Let's stay on backs. Well, another back injury. Defensive tackle Marlon Tui-Poloku, whose season last year was cut short because of a back injury and back surgery, is still out. They're holding him out for spring. Initially, they had hoped that he would be back. And now they're being cautious. This, I'm told is a bit more serious. He had a pre-existing back injury. And I mean from high school. And it's something that USC was aware of. 
but it's someone that they wanted, and we saw the potential right away when he was he showed up last spring, and then you know in the fall as well, and uh, he really did not play much. He started the opener, but held to it. I think just a couple games last year. He's someone where you really hope like this kid can play football again because it might be a chronic issue. And uh, we just hope it's not. We hope it's not for him. Um, he's very important to this team. Defensive line, defensive tackle in particular, has been a question mark, it seems, every season since... Leonard Williams left, and he was kind of manning that spot, not on a full-time basis. And you had Dimitri Kolovatu, he was like mana from heaven, right? But you didn't know that, that he was coming until the summer, right before that, that 2016 season. And then Josh Fatu, who didn't do a lot his first year, ended up you know, filling the shoes uh, for the most part last year. And he had a nice season. This year, however, if Marlon's not playing, then that's a lot of stress on Brandon Peely. And beyond him, other guys haven't even played. Brandon has a little bit of experience. And that's really it. I mean, Marlon doesn't have much himself either. But let's not forget when we asked Sean Cody who he thought had the highest ceiling of any defensive lineman on the team last year, he picked Marlon Tuipolokio. And and I know that this is someone that Konechiu Daisy thinks has a chance to be special. And now the question is, when will he play again? And and how will he be able to play? So He picked Marlon him over Rasheem Green? Well, I, I think when I when I prefaced that question to Cody, I might have said aside from Rasheem because Rasheem gotcha. was already established and proven, and you know we we knew that Rasheem was going to play his final year at USC and and go to the NFL. And okay, we saw him at the combine. Congrats to Rasheem. I actually bumped into him the other day, and uh, I told him like I didn't know you could run that fast, and he kind of chuckled and he said, you know. I was playing through a lot of injuries last year, and so you never really saw my speed come into play like like it could have. So uh, I think he he probably punched his ticket to the, the second round of the draft. Nice. I heard that he was a second, third round guy. Um, I haven't really heard any first round projections. I think he's going second round, and and Rashim is an interesting prospect because he's going to begin his NFL career as a defensive end. But if you heard Mike Mayock during the combine, you know, he laid out the the blueprint for for Rashim's development and, and said this kid's so long and and lanky and even though you know he's not light, he weighs about two ninety. That's not light. And right, not at all. But he's gonna he's gonna grow into his body. He still hasn't totally filled in yet, and he's gonna probably be like a three technique and, and move inside. So Rasheem Green is a interesting NFL prospect, uh, someone who you know, he could be productive. 
And uh, maybe Marlon Toipolotu is has an even higher ceiling than him. Go back and listen to that show and let us know. Yeah, well, uh, right now I'm just hoping that he gets back on the field. Yeah. Um, like I said, he'll be out for spring. They're just hoping that he'll be back by training camp. That, that's where things yeah. are at right now with him. Um, it's a couple other players like that. Yeah, so... Okay, Wole Bakiku, outside linebacker. We discovered that he actually had to undergo surgery on both of his hips. And that's really no different than what we saw with Zach Banner, Jonathan Lockett, and Jenny Harris. For each of them, that meant their season. With Bakiku, Helton told me that because they get it early enough, he's He's hoping that he can come back by training camp. That it should be about a six-month recovery. That's what that's what they're guessing here. Um, I don't know. When I hear double hip surgery, I'm thinking that's probably his season. Yeah, that's what I would think too. I, again, we're not doctors. I'm just reporting. I'm giving you first-hand information here. Bakiku might be back. He might not. It's unfortunate that he can't play because he's another one that you want to see him play. This was a year where he could get on the field. I know Clancy has not rotated much, and he had these starters that were entrenched. But this year, you, you don't really have that. And if you listen to Clay Helton yesterday, he made it a point to tell us that I told my staff, we need to play more guys. Do you think it happens? <laughs> I don't know, honestly. Right? I mean, it, it, it's hard to say. Yeah, it's a nice thought. Do you thought. think it will happen? It's a nice thought. I think Clancy's going to do what Clancy's going to do. Maybe on offense yeah. they play more guys. Well, yeah, but that's never been an issue. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Clancy going to Clancy. Yeah. I, I think so. I mean, I do think that there are probably a few spots, and that's why I mentioned Bakiku, because I think there are a few spots where they they don't have each other to You know what I mean? They don't have Rasheem Green, um, even someone like Chris Hawkins, who had been in the system so long and was so cerebral and just so important to what they were doing. They don't have those guys. Uh, Cam is really the only one, right? That's like carrying over from from that era. Um, they they're gonna play more people, I think, because a they I mean they have to learn more about some of these players, but also b I, I don't think they have players that are so much better than their backups. No, I agree. In fact, you're gonna find out who the best player is or or get the best out of players by playing more people. I mean, that's how Christian Rector blew up last year. Christian Rector wouldn't have seen the field if it weren't for injury. And there was a few weeks there where he was their best defensive player. Mid-season AP All-American, Christian Rector. It wasn't AP All-American. It was just some Oh, was it some team? I apologize yeah. to the Associated AP only End of year. And Ooh. AP, My bad. They, they made sure to include Jack Jones. Oh, well. 
yes, there's something Trump. about him <laughs> we have to talk about. So, Jack. Oh, Jack Jones. Jack. Okay, so Jack is out for spring, not because of injury, but because they need him to focus on academics. And if this is where things are at, then that's not a good sign. No. Um, they've done this before, and I think it's something that uh, is smart because if you don't, then what happens? They're, they're ineligible, yeah. and they're gone for the year. And spring is obviously not what matters right now. But um, And Jack is a returning starter. But the issues go beyond that at this time. We learned that Jack has been suspended for the season opener for a violation of team rules. Yeah. Uh, these things are not unrelated. Okay? So. I liked how you phrased that. <laughs> well, because if you remember, Jack had a very curious recruitment with USC and my when I when I learned of this and I heard that he's being held up for spring and he's being suspended I don't know what you thought but I thought like how's this gonna end with him mm-hmm. where's this going I mean it, it could easily just be he misses the UNLV game right no big deal back on the field in game two and improves upon the season that he had last year. Which, I mean, I would say that's a, a controversial selection for AP All-American. Yes. But but for being a, a sophomore who didn't play a lot as a freshman and being a first-year starter, Jack Jones had a, a good season. And he had one that you'd be encouraged by moving forward because if, if you're going to get him for at least another year, but maybe, you know, probably two then you're thinking, okay, by by the time he leaves the program, um, he could be one of the better cornerbacks in the country. Now, where is this story going to go? How is this going to play out? What do you think? <laughs> I'm not sure I should even give my opinion. Um, what do you think can happen? I mean, you, you, you know him maybe as well as I do, if not better, because you got acquainted with him at a younger age and, you know, for a few years there. Well, it to me, this is nothing about him. I actually like Jack Jones a lot. I've always said that. I just feel like whenever I see something like this happen, something similar to this, I feel like it's going to be a three-and-done situation. Uh, it feels like school isn't his interest, which I totally understand. I'm not holding that against him. He's always been a star football player or whatever. And I feel like when you have coaches – disciplining kids. I know he's not happy about that. No one's ever happy about being disciplined. It just makes me feel like, hey, if there was ever a thought in his head about, uh, you know, I can leave after three years, I mean, it's got to be in his head now. So that's that's hmm. kind of where I see it ending. Is I it's just... okay. Maybe I'm, uh, I was beating around the bush too much because that wasn't even really what I had thought of, but it's, I'm glad I asked because I like to get your perspective. I actually thought more along the lines of is he going to leave? Not for the NFL. I think for I, the NFL. I, I don't think the NFL right now is uh, is looking for him. I get that, uh, but I, I see kids leave that they're not looking for all the time. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, thank I, you. I could, 
I could just totally see it. I I just feel like like yeah, you you know, if everything was going perfectly for him, maybe that's not his step after this season. Or maybe it would be, but maybe, you know, if he's not there yet, but he's still in good standing with his coaches or feels that he's in good standing with his coaches. I just feel like if you're a starting player and you're getting disciplined and suspended, you know, your your inclination was right because you're guessing, if, you know, he's going to transfer. I feel the same way. It's like this isn't my place anymore. This isn't where I should be. I think that's just mm-hmm. kind of the natural feel. And I think that, you know, even if he's not getting drafted or whatever, he's talented enough and he's a big enough name coming out of high school that I feel like somebody somewhere is going to sign him as a free agent or whatever. And that's big money. So, you know, I just could see that being the case where he just says, okay, forget it. I'll just see what happens in the NFL. Yeah. Well, Jack, uh, Jack, Jack has a lot of work to do. And and that's why I'm not even thinking about the NFL. And he knows this. I'm not calling him out. He's got to get in the weight room. He's got to get bigger. I mean, he is not as big as he was when he got here two years ago. And so, he's not, I mean, sure, if he would have, I think, had his act together, then he could have, he could have prepared for this season and viewed it as, this will be my last season at USC. But, right now, I think he just has a lot to take care of, uh, both on and off the field, and, uh, People that are close to him have told me that they really hope that this will be a wake-up call. They think that this is good for him, right? I mean, it doesn't sound good right now. It doesn't feel good. You like to have him out there, of course, for spring. But he needs this. And, and they're really hoping that it will kind of wake him up, you know, because the kid has a lot of potential. He has a lot of game. And we saw that last year. You know, it's not just potential. He's a playmaker. You know, I mean, I I reported this a couple of days ago where he had four interceptions, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery, a block kick. Uh, no USC player had done that in the last five years. And he just makes things happen. And... And, and, but how much can you make happen if you're not growing? You know, I mean, the, the game won't always be there. I mean, it, it's such a transition if you think about it from high school to college, where in high school you kind of always are ahead of the curve when you're when you're a G one prospect, right? Yeah. And and even if you kind of are are slacking in you know particular area, whether it be academically or athletically or you know in in sports um you're still better than everybody in, on the field you just are and that that's your talent but in college it'll catch up to you people will pass you by and you'll get the freshmen that are coming the freshman corners nothing's promised for jack jones right now right i mean yeah. it, again you gotta you gotta win your job every day and, and he had a cushion, and it's not like I thought he was in danger of losing it. But now he's missing a couple months of practice, and he's going to miss that opener. We've seen that in the past. You know, not even for disciplinary issues. 
I remember Kevon Seymour lost job as a senior. Yeah. Right? He lost yeah. it to, to Biggie Marshall. And, and Kevon, uh, he injured himself in training camp and, you know, tried to just play through it, even though he wasn't really 100% and ended up being a reserve for that season, final year. So, anyway, uh, Jack is another one that is not there. Another key player, obviously. Um, there are a handful of players who Helton said would be held out of the first week. And then because they have that spring break, he's hoping that they'll return after. This happened in the last couple of years as well. You know, I mean, I don't know if people remember these things, but players had been injured uh, maybe in the the winter workouts and conditioning, um, or they might get injured in the first week. You know, Marvell Kell is, you know, kind of kind of banged up a little bit. Um, they expect him to come back. And we've, we've seen it before where I, I guess that's the advantage of having that spring break after week one. Uh, then you go four weeks straight and ideally you have them for that entire month. So we'll just see. I mean, again, it's a handful of guys. Um, when we record again, you know, we'll, we might have a better idea of where things stand with those guys. Vivai Malapai is another one who you won out there. Um, Taylor Katoa tore his ACL last year, if you remember. Mm-hmm. And um, he's practicing, but he hasn't been cleared for contact. So they're hoping that he, he'll be available. Toe Lovingon, who's supposed to play center, they're hoping that he'll be back after spring break. Greg Johnson and Isaiah Polamau. Helton said they'll be limited in contact. It was not clear what that meant. I, we, I hadn't heard that phrase used before. Um, and if, if it's literal, then I guess that's what it means. Is that if they won't do all the contact drills. We've seen that where they do wear pads, but they're not doing everything. Um, but when he said limited in contact, I didn't know if that's what he meant or if he meant they're going to be held out of contact period and they're going to do all the others. Um, so I'll, I'll be able to verify that when I know it, um, probably on the site. Um, one thing I did want to address before we move on, there were a handful of announcements regarding transfers and a couple medical retirements. Um, any surprises for you on, on any of these? These are all things that we reported on at some point over the last couple months. Um, some players did not transfer that Maybe we heard Mike transfer, but uh, every name that ultimately uh, is transferring, we had learned at some point uh, in January or February. And that's why I'm not surprised. Okay. Anybody that you thought might transfer that didn't? Yes. Okay. It feels so rude saying it. No, no. I mean, hey, you just you thought this player might transfer well, I, for whatever reason I thought about Wale Batiku okay I thought about uh Connor Murphy yeah as well because I kind of feel like he's sort of a similar thing where it's like oh he's just not really playing you know and he seems like a guy that people wanted 
Uh, well, he moved. He did move, and that might be part of it, um, and it might be experimental, but yeah. they moved him to the defensive line, where prior to that, he was really playing the predator spot, um, and even a little bit of Sam, but now they got his hand in the ground, he's with the, the defensive lineman, um, and that's what, if you remember, that's what Clay said from day one. He, I remember that. It might have even been signing day. But if not, it was definitely, um, you know, in training camp, his freshman year, he had said, here's a player who we expect will grow into a down lineman. And he didn't know when it would happen, but he's got an unusual body, really long, tall, obviously. Um, interesting, you know, and I, I think he brings something different to the table on that defensive line. Um did you have any other names? Yes. If not, I want to talk about the Okay, go I ahead. I do. Uh, Pi Young. I, I think yeah. it's interesting that Jamel Cook is leaving, but Pi Young isn't, and they they kind of both sort of felt like they're similar spots in a way, uh, where it's just kind of like, are they going to play you? I don't know. Uh, Dom Davis. They moved him to cornerback. I know he's back at tailback now. or are going to be playing a little bit of tailback in the spring because they're desperate for them. But, you know, I just felt like, what are you doing at USC still? There's a couple guys like that. So, I don't know. I, yeah. I think that's pretty much the list I have. Those are names that definitely crossed my mind. And they maybe that's a decision that they're going to make at the end of spring. That's very possible. We have seen that in the past where people give themselves one more spring. And if it's clear to them that they don't really have a role on the team, then... They decided to transfer. Um, in fact, a couple of the players that are transferring, and I'm including Jalen Green, Roy Hemsley, Jamel Cook, they're all at USC right now. And they are exploring transfers. For Jalen, it's a graduate transfer. For Hemsley, he's trying to graduate. Uh, it would, you know, He just got there in 2015. But because USC has these kids in school year-round, doing every summer school session, they build up enough units after three years where if, you know, they're taking care of their their schoolwork, they can graduate. So uh, they, they do they do put them on a, on a good path in that regard. Um, that's not something that was happening 10 years ago. And I, I really feel like there, there's been a bit of a reform there uh, academically. And, and I... We forget sometimes how hard they work and and that their students at all. And uh, so maybe they don't pan out as a player, but if they get their USC degree, I mean, that's, you know, hats off to them. Um, it, it's not easy, and um, and they should be honored for that. And so with Hemsley, you know, it, it didn't really work out for him. Um, last year, he started to compete for a spot, and I think this year he was going to be in the same boat where he was probably the guy after the guy after the guy. You know, it was going to take more than one injury for him to really see the field and and be on, you know, be in that rotation on the offensive line. Um, With Jalen, he's fulfilled a lot of roles for USC Mm -hmm. and it makes complete sense for him. Um, the hard part for him is that 
you know, what is he? You know, I mean, he he's kind of a tweener, you know, between quarterback and receiver. I, I'm not sure what he'll do next. I know he intends to, to play wide receiver um, wherever he goes. Um, I think he's really a quarterback. And it would be hard to go to another program, you know, and, and start over, right? Get there yeah. in the fall and, you know, I mean, win the job, right? And, and get on the field and, and play quarterback. So I realize he could probably uh, break into a rotation much quicker at receiver. But I actually think he is a quarterback. And I did think that if he stayed around, then you could have thrown him out there in this competition because this competition and quarterback is wide open. Yep. I mean, it is wide open. It is, <laughs> I can't stress that enough. Wide. Where, okay. Wide. Two, two years ago, I felt like, I mean, if you, go, if you go back and listen to any of our shows leading up to spring and even during spring, we were telling you, Max Brown is going to start the opener. He's going to win the job, whether it be on the field or just, you know, by title. He's going to win the competition. So I, I never felt like it was wide open, even though it was extremely competitive. Okay. This competition can go in three different directions. You have three guys that can win the job. And really you can have three guys where no one has won the job, but you're, you obviously have to play a guy and you're going to, you're going to play one and, and then you're going to, it's it, it, it going to be weird. It, like maybe they, they rotate in games or they play a guy and depending on how they perform, you know, in that game, then it kind of just, the doors open again, you know, that, that next Tuesday. Um, and I wasn't even ready to really jump into that topic, but uh, we're here. So oh, I had a joke before we got there, too. Oh, well. Oh, it's over. But just say it. I mean, jokes are great. Even when Can you I just say tell it? everybody it's a joke. Okay, it's I'm going to do it. Hey, are any of their 12 scholarship special teams players going to transfer? <laughs> okay. John oh, Baxter me. for defensive line coach. That's my joke. Okay. We'll go on. Nice. We'll move on now. Yeah. That's a good okay. joke. That's a good joke. It is. Quarterbacks. I'm glad, you, glad you shared it. <laughs> Quarterbacks. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Can I tell you how wide open this competition is at quarterback? Tell me. Rivals.com wrote an article today. You know I love our staff at Rivals.com. They're some of my favorite people. I just want to give them all hugs. But they wrote an article about who's replacing the stars at all these top programs. Of course, Sam Darnold, the star. Uh, and oh, really? I didn't think that they thought that of it. They, they do, actually. I thought you were going to tell me that they did not include Darnold. <laughs> <laughs> this is for after the podcast, Adam. We're saving this conversation. But uh, okay. they put a picture of Matt Fink up, and they introduce... Okay. Matt Fink, and they say, hey, you know what? He's probably the guy to pick because he did beat out Sears last year, and they start introducing why he's going to be the pick. And then Mike Farrell comes in to finish off the little piece on who's going to be the quarterback, and he picks Jack Sears. So Rivals.com is even confused 
about who will be the next quarterback. In half of the article, they picked Fink. In the other half, they picked Sears. It's that wide open. And I, so, and what about J.K. Daniels? They mentioned I mean, him, but he's not yeah, there. Yeah, so. but they're not. Like, do they think that a quarterback will be chosen at the end of spring? I don't know if they got there. I think they just mentioned they, all they the never options. Do. Okay. I think they just so, mentioned all of the options. So. Yeah, they, they never do. Okay, let me let me clear up a couple things here for people. I've heard this before, in fact, about Sears and Fink, that Fink beat out Sears. Fink got beat out Sears. He arrived a year earlier. Therefore, after having already redshirted, he was the default backup quarterback to Sam Darnold. Jack Sears redshirted. He wanted to redshirt. That, that was the plan from day one. Unless Darnold had been injured and unavailable early in the season, then that competition would have opened up. But there wasn't a competition. S- small between... details. Just small <laughs> details. Okay. Let me tell yeah. you, okay, to defend Rivals.com here, if Jack Sears had shown up and was so much better than Matt Fink, they would have forced Matt Fink to transfer and they would have burned Sears' red shirt. Well, it's funny that or you they wouldn't that because... Have. <laughs> Matt Fink will, will not transfer. That's not happening. In fact, I was having an interesting conversation with a another beat writer on Tuesday, who I will not name Good. because I don't know if he wants me to put this out there, but I can put my name on it in terms of what I said. And we, we basically agreed that if you were handicapping this quarterback competition for the season opener, I would say that the biggest piece of the pie for who will win the job and start game one would belong to Jack Sears. They all would have a, a you know healthy slice of this pie. Okay, it's not like Jack Sears has eighty percent, but I would give him the biggest piece. Okay, at the same time, who's most likely to transfer among the three? Because I do think. One of the three is going to ultimately transfer from this program at some point. It would be Jack Sears. Oh, interesting. Hey, I, he would also grab the biggest piece of that pie as well. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Now, I completely agree. So, we we asked Toy, of course, about this competition, and there was one comment in particular that I thought was the most telling for what's happening and even what I think will happen. He said, when asked about the quarterback competition, he said, at all positions, the man that's playing the best by the time we get to game one is going to go out there. The best man's got to play in that moment, whoever it might be. What do you, what do you hear when you hear that? Uh, indecision. That that they're they're extending the competition as long as possible. That they they're not they don't want to really commit to a guy. That's honestly how I feel because you know I think that honestly I always thought that it was best to figure it out as quickly as you could and then pick the guy that's going to lead the team. Right? Isn't that I always thought that was kind of the common approach to these things, but it seems that to me... That was Carol's way. Yeah. 
May. He, he picked a starter at the end of every spring. Yeah. Anytime there was a competition. Even the Barkley, Corp one, he picked Corp. Yeah. And then Corp got injured in a training camp and Barkley took over. Yeah, so to me, it just it, it kind of just makes me feel like, oh, they're really extending this thing. And then it makes me think of the freshman coming in. And is it to benefit him? Is it to give him as much time as possible to win the job? And then even a comment like that makes me think, even though you know he mentioned by the first game, makes me think if that mentality continues into the season, how quickly could you make a change? If all of a sudden by game six or seven, you know, maybe USC's struggling, maybe they're not, you know, competing for a conference championship at that point. And, you know, you go, oh, well, we think JT Daniels is playing the best football now, and now he's the starter. So that's all I think about is there. it really seems like it's weighed towards one person in the race, and that's the guy that isn't there to win it right now. Yeah, I think that George being left wide open for him specifically, and I don't even think that it would necessarily take, you know, six, seven weeks into the season. Yeah. I feel like they're going to go game by game with this. Yeah. Um, I, I, when I, yeah, when I heard him say that, I, all, I, all I could think about was J.T. Daniels, really. It, just that they are going to tailor this to give him every opportunity. I mean, he, he said flat out, we are not going to pick a starter at the end of spring. Where I didn't think that they would, right? Like, we know Jake, he's coming. He's a big prospect. Yeah. You have two other kids, neither of which have really played. I get that. But what if one of them blew you away this spring? Yeah, he's saying that can't happen. He, yeah, he's saying that's not going to happen. Yeah. I, I, I was just surprised that it was so definitive. Um, yeah. And I'm also, I was also surprised he put the emphasis on in that moment before we get to game one. Meaning... At the last moment. Right. It gives <laughs> JT all of training camp. All, you know, all five... They're, they're, technically, they're two weeks of training camp or three weeks, but then you got two more weeks of practice before the opener, which is out of training camp, but it's part of that fall practice before the season. So you have five weeks there, five weeks of practices for him to catch up. And again, I still would would give the biggest piece of the pie to Jack Sears, but not for long. I, I just think it, it feels inevitable. It feels that that's just the way it feels to me. It feels inevitable that JT Daniels will be their starting quarterback. When the coach completely dismisses the idea that he could find a starting quarterback by the end of spring, I think and, you're and right. The two on. guys that are already there that have been there, they're not yeah. new, right? Yeah. I mean, Sears has already been there for more than a year. He got there last January. Fink got there the January before that. He's been there for over two years. Yep. It's crazy. Now, if he really wanted to lock it up for Daniels, he could have just said, we'll pick the oldest quarterback on the roster when that time comes. Wow. That's a good joke. Come on. That's a good okay. joke. All right. <laughs> I was um, like, move it on. Yeah. <laughs> Cut that out of the show. Yeah. Oh. Where's Morales? <laughs> right? Okay. I'm um, making up Let's talk about absence. a few of the other competition 
that we're intrigued by okay. right now. Um, I, running back, really, like there there isn't one, unfortunately. I was excited about it a few weeks back, but now cars out, the vibe's limited. Where's doing his thing? But right now he's last man standing, so that's going to be on hold. Um, at receiver, that's kind of the one position where they're also in standby because on one side you got Kyler Vaughn, the other you got Michael Pittman. Um, it was only one game, but they look like two of the better players in the team. And I really think that they're just going to pick up right where they left off last year, and which is you know what USC needs, a couple bigger receivers on the outside. Um, the competition that we're waiting for would be in the slot. Bayless uh, Jones right now is maybe the primary guy, but we're going to see people rotate there. And then, of course, Amon Ross St. Brown will step into the fold in uh, in the fall. So that competition isn't really happening yet. Um, tight end, there's some competition there. You, you got Tyler Petit. He's the, uh, you know, the aged vet. Um, year four for him. Been a contributor every year. I expect him to to be the, the number one guy. Um, it, you know, indefinitely, really. Yep. We don't know what's going to happen with Amater Bebe. But I am really intrigued by Josh Follow. Eric Cromenhoek is really in the mold of Paquette. And he's someone who will definitely play. He's going to be on the field. Um, you know, they, they do use two tight ends. I know people are always clamoring for more of it. But it is part of their offense. And it, it is something that they're going to continue to do. I don't know they're going to be a regular thing. They're not going to become Stanford. But Croman Hulk will have a role. Follow the, is one where I think could emerge and really... Unfortunately, right, benefit from a modern baby's absence. But do you think Fala could ever overcome Petit and be, like, their main guy? I don't know. I know that they really like Petit because yeah. he can do everything. That's a good question. I don't think it's possible. Not because I, I think Fala has the talent to do it. I just think they love Tyler Petit. Like, they love that guy. Like they've played him forever. They're always going to play him. I'm not saying he I doesn't think, deserve to be on the field or anything. It's I just think to they me appreciate is, Tyler Pekin. Yeah, I think, I think he's. Love a they song, love right? him. Like like long like stretched out love for it. Like, like love. Girl, you know I love you. Like yeah, like they're basically dating at this point. So okay, I don't think they're in bed with Tyler Pekin. I'm just going to say it right now. Okay, I think that follow can. I mean, again. If Follow just gonna be the number one guy and you know and and really play the whole entire game, no. Like Petit will will play. But is it impossible for Follow to be the starter? No, I, I think it's feeling too high to say that. I will put- I really think that he can do a lot of things that a couple of the other tight ends cannot do. I will push all of my chips into the middle of the table <laughs> on Tyler Petit. And now, has... is that because of uh, Petit being more you know, mentally mature and physically mature, or because you don't trust the staff to make a change 
that would be necessary there. I think he probably is more mentally and physically mature than Josh Follow. And oh, I, he is. I, think, I, well, I didn't know that quite thought yeah, that could be It's a overcome. part of it. It's a part of it. Like, yeah, okay, maybe, like, maybe uh, you know, if there was a different staff, maybe they would pick Petit. I'm not saying it's impossible. But to me, it just you seems like – or I'm saying – that if you like, if the staff changed, maybe Petit would be the choice anyway. That's okay. my point. Like, okay. may, maybe he just is the better player. I don't know. To me, it seems like they value whatever he does a lot. I probably don't see what he does as well as they do. Because yeah. I would think Follow would have a chance to beat him out. I just think from seeing how they've played Tyler Petit for years, and it seems like he's always been their guy. I don't think they'll ever get away from him. So I think he's the guy. I think I don't think there's a question about that. So Well And I like arguing with the quarterback with you. anymore. I think that's another thing that we have to keep in mind. Yeah. Uh, a chemistry can be built, a rapport can be built between one of these new quarterbacks and you know, either one of the newer tight ends, Eric Croman Hope yeah. or Josh Follow. I just see a grip of potential would follow. Yeah. Right. High feeling there. Yeah. Oh, totally. But if JT Daniels is the quarterback, he's, you know, about age appropriate with Tyler Petit, I think. So I'll stop (laughs) making that joke eventually. I swear. I promise. I really will. You sure? The last one for the show. Meaning you're going to do one more or that was the last one? There might be one more, but I'm not going to go too crazy. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. Okay. All right. We're going to move on to the O-line where – Okay, on an individual basis, you feel good about the fact that you bring back Chuma Doga, right tackle. Uh, you bring okay. back Andrew Voorhees, right guard. Some people, I think, are unduly harsh on him when, I mean, he was a true yeah. freshman and really thrown <laughs> how, into the fire. How could you be harsh but, about him? Like, honestly, like, you're, you're going you're gonna to say something negative about the freshman offensive lineman? That guy had a chance. I'm sorry. Continue. No, I mean, you never over. want to play a true freshman. No, he had no. He has no prayer. He has no. A true freshman offensive lineman cannot win those battles. They just can't. It's over. Yeah. It's done. So, if you hate the matter him, is, he's big. Yeah, you know he he's you know if, if you're if you're wanting a power run game and you want to beef up the goal line, then you have a great start with a kid like that. Mm-hmm. So. Um, He's got right guard. I don't think like that job is sealed. I think that there's going to be competition there. Um, I would expect Jordan Austin to be involved. Um, we have to see where Elijah Vera Tucker lands. And then at center, that's supposed to be Toa's spot. That's what he came back for. If he's healthy, he's in center. Uh, left guard, Chris Brown. He probably has a, a firmer grip on on that job, but yeah. I think you should have competition there. You need competition. You, you need as much competition as you can get. And one point that that Clay made on Tuesday that I think could be really good for this program right now. He said he plans to give the first and second team an equal amount of reps throughout spring, but. The reasoning behind that is because he just wants to give everybody a chance to to grow 
You know, it, you don't want to just build up your first team. Not in the spring. You do that maybe near the end of training camp and those couple weeks that I mentioned before the season. That's where you really hit hard when you're installing your game plan. You hit hard the guys that are that you're preparing to play with. But right now in March, you still have a lot to learn, and you want to see. You want everyone to think that they can get on the field. And you want to have everyone's attention. And I felt like the last couple of years, it's been a bit dull in practice in this regard. Where I could have basically projected the entire depth chart and starting lineup at the beginning of the calendar year for you know that September. And I would have been 85-90% accurate on it I shouldn't know it that well no. that early in the year no where right now I feel like okay there's, there's a bit of guesswork and I think if you really do rotate these kids he said that he wants to see players play on both teams he wants to see how they respond so guys that maybe they are the backup right now or you know they're in open competition and maybe they're not the favorite but they're going to work with the first team they're going to get equal reps I think you need to do that. I think that'll be good for everybody. Um, so uh, with the offensive line, I think that you know you, you want to see more competition, even though you give a returning starter in Chris Brown and Andrew Voorhees. Um, push him, right? Uh, with, with Chuma, you want to push him too. You always have to push Chuma. I'm not sure who their fourth tackle is. Right now we see Clayton Johnston getting the first team reps at left tackle. And you're going to see Austin Jackson get them as well. And that, that should be a good competition. Um, but those are your top three tackles. Really the backup, whoever doesn't win that job at left tackle, is the backup on both sides. I don't know who their fourth tackle is right now. But you definitely need one. This is where you need competition. You need someone to take some of those reps from Chuma. Not because you're punishing him, but because... You need to, I think, develop your players. You know, develop that depth. Right now, you have a lot of bodies on the O-line, but you don't have depth. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Is there any chance, like even a fraction of a percent of a chance, that they just move Toa back to left tackle at some point and just make him play it again? Or do you think that's out the window now? I mean, you get fraction, then yeah, there's a fraction of a chance. But he does not want to play there. You know, he really, that was him, I want to say, taking one for the team last year and going back to left tackle, where he lost two years to injury and had to move off of guard as a freshman, even though he was playing so well at left guard that freshman year under Kim Drevenow. He had to move to left tackle when Chad Wheeler went down. And then last year, playing left tackle again, where you know he, he wasn't great there either. I think he's their center. That's what he wants. Uh, I think that's where he's best at it anyway. Um, he's an interior lineman, and he's really a center. This gives him an opportunity to get to the next level and, and have a chance to play in the NFL. But that's really where he belongs, not just like a favor. I mean, I think this is where 
it benefits the team most to put him there. And I think long term, whether you pick Clayton Johnston or Austin Jackson, those are the two that I'm expecting they're going to decide between, then hopefully you have a left tackle of the future. I mean, Clayton still has a couple years left, and Jackson has three years left. You want to pick between those two. So, again, unless there was injury to both of them, then no, I don't think Toe is moving up a center. Nice. Yeah. You want to talk about the defensive line? Sure. All right. Oh, you want me to talk about the defensive line? Well, I think there's a wide range of opinions on how good this defensive line will be. Right now, looking at who's there, who's available, who's doing what, what do you think of it? I think if it's a two-man defensive line, it could be really good. Hmm. Funny that you say that. Because <laughs> I just, I'm sorry, like, I went through it with you. I mm-hmm. We were doing some preview for the spring. I forget what it was now. Um, but I, I don't know, man. I'm just looking at, I think maybe if everybody was healthy, if maybe everybody was living up to the star ranking, right? Maybe if you're one of those people where you just look at how, what they're ranked in high school on Rivals.com and then you look at the roster and you're like, oh, well, you know, USC has six five stars or whatever. But I'm I'm not feeling too confident. I think they have some some high-quality players. Like, I think Brandon Peely could be something really special down the line. Do I think he's going to be something really special this year? I'm not sure. Some of the veterans that they have there, I'm not sure if it's really the right position for them even. I think of like a Malik Dorn or a Christian Rector. I'm like, do I even want to play you guys with your hands in the ground? I don't know. I don't know. I guess Doran now because he's gotten so big. But Rector looks so good in a different spot. And he didn't look very good with his hand in the ground in, in other games. So I don't know. I think the defensive line is a huge question mark. I think if they figure it out, the defense could be pretty good. But it seems like I think you mentioned this earlier in the show. It seems like every year, uh, you know, at USC in recent years since Leonard Williams left, we come into the season questioning the defensive line. Uh, big time, big time questions. I think it's another year like that. Rasheem Green, there's not like that Rasheem Green type where it's like, oh, he's such a high level athlete, you know, that maybe he'll figure it out and be a star. There's not that like Stevie Toy Kolovatu, like, you know, he's 27 years old coming in for, oh, wait, there is Caleb Tremblay. He's a Juco transfer, not coming from another school. So maybe to me, it kind of looks like maybe if Caleb Tremblay, you know, is that Stevie Toy Kolovatu type uh, or that Josh Fatu type and it can have an instant impact right away. Maybe they can figure out that other spot. Maybe if they have to play three, uh, which they don't do all the time, maybe they could play it well. But I kind of feel like it hinges on how good he is, honestly, because I'm not sure about the rest of the cabinet. I'm not sure some of these younger guys that you know maybe came in 2017 class, 2016 class, I feel like they're still too young. You know, I'm still not sold on them. So, I don't know. It's a wait and see. It's a wait and see. But I don't see that high-end, scary athlete that is either healthy or is either mature enough that I feel like, oh, yeah, USC's defensive line is going to be fine this year. I just don't feel that way yet. Yeah. I mean, we've felt that way in the past, like we both have mentioned, and it worked out. Yeah, that's true. And Konechi gave me a lot of credit for the way things have turned out. Because I remember coming out of 2015, even though they didn't have a star, 
they had all those redshirt seniors, remember? Yeah. I think they had four or five of them yeah. that all left. And I remember, I'll, I won't forget it, Kanetsu telling me, this line this year will be better than that one. And this was before they had Kiwi Kolovacu. Now, without Kiwi Kolovacu, I don't think that that would have been true. But that's the way it turned out. But that's what he believed would happen. And, I mean, he's a catalyst worker. And I think he teaches the kids so much. So, because they have the base, right? Like, these are some big kids here. They're young. They're inexperienced. But they're big. And... Now, there's a difference between being big and being physically mature, right? I mean, we just talked about even Rasheem Green has to uh, physically mature, you know, even more for the NFL. He was obviously very good in college, but um, there's still maturity that takes place beyond USC. But I think that he'll have them ready to, to play. You know, I think that they'll be they'll be playable, and I I think because there isn't a Rashim Green and a Skibby Kui Kolavaku, they're going to rotate. I really do believe it. I think they're just going to have to. Um, Caleb Tremblay would be a major X factor. He actually graduated high school in 2013. Which is when, who graduated in 2013? I mean, Max Brown? Be, <laughs> yeah. No, Brown, Brown, well, yeah, he came in the, in the spring, I believe. Chris but, Hawkins? Um, yeah, who also, I think, huh? came in the spring. But that's when these guys graduated high school. Yeah. Tremblay. Ready to play. He's almost as old yeah. as JT Daniels. Yes! <laughs> oh, man. You know, I have another one lined up. That one was organic, so there might okay. be four on this show. <laughs> okay. Anyway, trembling someone that you need to be good from day one. And with Fatu, it took a little bit of time, and, and that was okay. It, they were able to work around that. They need Tremblay to be good. In fact... They might need to be their best defensive lineman. That just might be what they need. Yeah. One thing that I'm curious to to find out, and I don't know that we will, you know, for for some time, but because they moved Connor Murphy to the defensive line, and they're playing Christian Rector there as well, and we know that Rector, while we, it's unclear what his best position is. He's one of their better defensive players. If you're going to move him down, are you are you going to play a 3-4? Is that what that means? Or are you going to play a 3-3-5? A three, three, I mean, I know that, that Clancy loves his five defensive backs. I have a hard time believing he'll part with a defensive back. But then maybe it means they part with a linebacker? And they play three three five. I don't know. I, it's early. It is early. Yet. But I just got that impression yesterday with some of those moves. With the fact that Rector was off a of predator. And Connor Murphy had his hand in the ground. 
it made me think, are they going to do a 3-4? Or even a 3-3-5? Again, you have, you have the body to do it. You definitely have the numbers. But you're not going to do that unless you're getting the production that you, you need and want out of those defensive linemen. No, and that, that's where there's a lot of competition. I mean, Caleb Tremblay just got there. J.Q. Faley's there. Malik Dorton, he's been there for a while now. He's in the mix. Uh, Brandon Peely right now is really their only true nose tackle. Um, Trevor Trout, he, he won't be there till the fall. Do you think Trout ends up at nose tackle as well? Yeah, he could. I. It's kind of hard to tell with their defense because, like, sometimes you know they're versatile enough to kind of play nose, and then they play that like end spot also. Yeah, like where they like they leave they'll leave they'll two down linemen, and one of them is the nose, but he's not playing nose. Yeah, he's playing. I think. I mean, I I, Trout's an inside guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, in a four three, and so I think he'd play nose for them. Yeah, and I mean, again, we don't know what's going to happen with Marlon, but that's, it's supposed to be him and Peely. And if, if Marlon is not available, then maybe that's where, where Trout lands. Um, and then you have Jacob, who, I always mess up his last name, I feel bad, Lichtenstein? Yeah. Okay, that's what we're going to go with. Okay. Um, Liam Jimmins, and then Rector, and Connor Murphy. It's pretty open. Yeah. So defensive line will be definitely something I monitor at the same time with the injuries already piling up and a lack of running backs. They're probably not going to do a lot of running this spring. I don't think that you can. That's unfortunate because I do think that they have enough healthy bodies on the offensive line to do it. But... Right now with one running back and maybe two or two or three coming up. that I don't know. I don't know how much you can accomplish running the ball. And and with that, then you know, you've got impeding their plan to to throw three down linemen out there and you know and, and test your run defense. That run defense was not good last year. And I and I didn't really always realize it, but then when I went back after the season and looked at the numbers, and I made this point in the last podcast, they allowed 4.35 yards per carry, which was the second highest total in the last 25 years for a U.S. 2 defense. Wow. Yeah. So, a lot of competition there on the defensive line. Um, another question I had for you. We're going to move on to linebacker. Ooh. Are you surprised that Jordan Alcefa day one was at Predator? Yes and no. Okay. Yes. <laughs> you know I like taking both answers. Yes, because I think that uh, I've always felt like USC loves Port Augustine. I've just always felt that way. So it's surprised. that surprised me a little bit. But no, because I think Jordan Alcefa is really good. And I think Port Augustine might have a ceiling at that position that Jordan Iosefa can pass. Hmm. 
So I don't know if maybe because sometimes I think these things and then the coaches do not agree with me and it gives everybody that listens to our podcast reason to think that I'm an idiot. And sometimes I think these things and then it happens and I think to myself, did the coaches, do they agree with me? Am I actually right here? Am I right on? I feel like I'm right on. I really do. I think if you've watched Porter Gustin's career, you've seen a lot of struggles. That's honestly how I feel. I, I, I think that's a tough position for him to play. I really do. I feel like he's a tweener between mm. a, a guy that should have his hand in the ground and be a full-time defensive lineman, but he's not that big. You mm. know what I mean? And he's just mm. athletic. He's very athletic for his size. He's very oh, athletic for his yeah. size, but he's just athletic enough because of that, that he can play that outside position. And I think he kind of gets stuck there because of it. Um, I think other people uh, have the ability to be better than him at that position someday. And as he goes along in his career, I wonder, I always wonder if that day will come. Uh, I thought when Christian Rector had to play his position, I thought Christian Rector was way better than him at that spot. I, I thought Christian Rector killed it. Um, so it does not really surprise me to see somebody else come in and challenge him uh, in, yeah. in my mind. But if you had asked me what I believed the USC coaching staff would do, I would have thought Port Augustine was definitely safe at that spot heading into the season. Yeah. And again, it was one game of spring practice. It's evident to me that they love Jordan Escafa. Um, I think they also at least deeply appreciate Port Augustine. Um, I want to bet that they're both going to be playing. They're both going to be starting. And therefore... You know, one of them's got to play one side and one on the other. I have a hard time believing that one will play ahead of the other. So you're saying somebody's playing Sam. Yeah. Um, now, Juliana Falonico is another kid that um, had a role last year on special teams, but I know that they like the way that he practiced, and he was working at Sam, Maybe, you know, maybe that's something that, uh, that they're just going to experiment with. Um, and it, this is the time to do it. You know, th- that makes sense, obviously. You can, I think, bounce them yeah. around right now a little bit. I always um, heard college was the time to experiment. Yeah, and you sure did. Um, now, I've, I've said this before, but there is a lot of overlap between Predator and Sam. Yeah. They're not identical, but... They're very, very similar. And that's why you see, you know, we've seen quite a few players bounce back and forth. We're, we're used to, you know, Uchenna being the Sam linebacker. But behind him, whether it's Bakiku or Murphy, um, and then later, Ayoskefa, uh, they went back and forth. Yeah. You know, Gustin really just played Predator when he was healthy. Um, Rector was primarily a predator, but it hasn't been an uncommon for some of the other guys to go back and forth. No. So I, I think, you know, they're going to tinker with this probably for a few weeks, but I want to say Ioskefa and Gustin belong in that, that group of, these are some of our better defensive players who are going to play. 
you know, two of them. Christian Rector's another one. I just think, like, however they configure this defense, they're going to be a part of it. Um, that goes without saying with Cam Smith at middle linebacker. And then weak side linebacker is a spot where I know people want to see competition. Even though John Houston is a returning starter and one of their leading tacklers from a year ago, I think um, USC probably needs more from that spot this season. And John Houston, even though he's been in the program for a while, I mean, let's not forget, he didn't really play for two years. He did play in special teams, but he wasn't playing linebacker for two years. And last year, that was year one for him. He wasn't a true freshman, but he hadn't been on the field for a while. So let's just not write him off and think that he can't get better and be better this year. Um, Levi Jones, I think people are more excited about him, and they'd like to see him maybe either pass up Houston or at least a challenge for that job. Um, I think he'll get the opportunity to do that, but um, I'm not ready to say that Houston won't be the starter. Do you have any thoughts on that spot? Yeah, I, well, my thought is is that are people do people want to see competition out of that spot because of John Houston's play or because they didn't like how big he was? Because hmm. I honestly, I thought he played pretty well. I did. Maybe I'm not saying he's perfect. Like I'm telling that they, when they watch USC football on television, they go, why is that one linebacker so skinny? And they hate him. That's really how I feel because I thought he made some really nice plays for them. I thought he did a really nice job. I'm not saying he's Ray Maluga or Brian Cushing, right? I'm not saying that. I just, I didn't look at him and think, oh, man, they need to replace that guy anytime soon. I just think there were some times when he was a, he was a little small and, you know, that's not a great thing mm-hmm. for an inside linebacker. I get that, but mm-hmm. I just felt like everybody just looked at him and said, hey, he's not big enough. We don't like him. I, I'm not sure Levi Jones is that much bigger than him either. I'm pretty sure they're the same size coming out of high school. Right. Uh, so I don't know. I, I, I still have – I have the feeling that he could continue to improve, and I honestly think that you know he's probably big enough for most of the games they play size-wise, so it is college football. Well, I mean, this is what Clancy likes. Let's not forget, I mean, Quentin Powell was not as big as John Houston, even. No, that's true. Levi Jones is not much bigger. He's tall and lanky. You know, I mean, Levi Jones looks like Marvel Kell. They're not much different, if you look at their frame. Yeah. Um, I blame Raymond the strength. Scott, and... Raymond Scott rang out. He's got middle linebacker. Yeah. Not a big guy. Nope. Uh, that's the way Clancy, you know, draws it up where he has those uh, longer, leaner linebackers in the middle. And then the the bigger guys on the edges. I blame the strength and conditioning program, though. I think that I think Clancy <laughs> would want him to be like 300 pounds and run a 4-140, but they just can't get him there. So. Uh, like, like Bryce Dixon? Yeah. Oh, oh. Bryce Dixon was like 6'11 and a half. 463 pounds and ran a sub 340 if i remember correctly so okay he didn't need the strength and conditioning program <laughs> all right i feel inside joke that i'm <laughs> pretty sure nobody will get it's okay hope you enjoyed it it's anyway. for us it's for us just like my jt daniels jokes so. okay we're moving along to the defensive backfield 
There had been some talk that Biggie Marshall would be moving to safety. Um, I'd like to take the time right now to tell you that is not happening. Not happening. Not going to happen. <laughs> Yay. Not going to be able to do it. Can we get a sound effect for this announcement? <laughs> that was it right there. Oh, good. I liked it. Okay. Yeah, he's not moving. He's not moving. Whether you want him to or you don't want him to or you're thinking he might or whatever. Whatever. I'm just telling you it's not happening. Not going to happen. He's playing corner. And not even because Jack is out for spring. Although that doesn't, that doesn't uh, help matters. Right? I mean, so they have bodies in that corner. And they needed them. That's promising. Now it's about finding who's good and and who can do what. I think with cornerback, that's a position where, while maybe you traditionally don't rotate a lot, you can from, you know, series to series or game to game, depending on matchups. And right now they have different bodies that they, they haven't always had. You know, I mean, they still have to wait for two of the true freshmen to come. But Chase Williams has arrived. He's six foot two. Um, Ja'Cory Godfrey is healthier. And he's six foot two. Um, Jonathan Lockett is not six foot two, 5'11". <laughs> but he's back after missing the season. And while he played nickel in 2016, it looks like he'll likely play outside this year. Um, and Isaiah Langley, who is now in year four, uh, it's time for him. And he's someone that I've always thought, like, okay, he has the tools. Uh, he has the length. Um, he, he's kind of built a lot like Jack Jones, but he's, he's actually bigger, bigger, uh, bigger upper body. Um, he has an attitude, uh, plays with a chip on his shoulder. And with Jack not there, I'm really curious to see how he responds to all these first team reps. Because now is the time where maybe you might not have been thinking about him coming into this season, but I feel like this is a big spring for him. And he knows that. He has to know that. So let's see what he does with, with all the reps that he's getting. Greg Johnson, I mentioned at the top of the show, we're not clear yet whether um, he's going to be involved in contact periods. He's someone with a lot of potential who I would say with Jack not there, I could see Greg emerging as a front runner uh, opposite Biggie Marshall. But if he's not full yet, then that's going to be on hold. But I, I do like Greg Johnson. I think um, he's just skilled. And I think his skills are, are they're, they're clear for a, you know, for a kid that young. I mean, he's only been there for a year now, redshirted last year. But now that we're in spring, uh, I just thought like, okay, this could be a, a big step for him as well. So let's see if he's healthy. I'm very high on him, too. You are? I think he's going to be the best player from Augustus Hawkins High School to ever play at USA. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, I, I'm pretty sure you meant that could be funny. Um, I did. Yeah. Congratulations <laughs> on that. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that in a, in, a, in a little bit after we finish through going through the, the depth chart here. Um, but no, in all seriousness with Greg, um, what, what do you like about him? I think he's a freak athlete. I really do. I, yeah, I, he could move. You yeah. know, that, that's someone that people were wondering, will he move to Kelbeck? Which now, I mean, if he's going to be limited in contact, then he's not moving to Kelbeck right now, unfortunately. Yeah. But he has that ability. He has that skill. I yeah. think he could even they, play a little receiver, honestly. They could have used him, you know, at Kelbeck typically. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see what's up with Greg. Um, Nickel, you know, it's a Jenny's job, and I'm not sure who's going to push him there. That could be maybe one of the freshmen when they get there in the fall. Uh, Achille Ross backs him up, but Achille probably going to move around in spring. I anticipate him. I mean, he's working at safety on Tuesday, and I think they're going to need him there. Um I, I don't know. I, I don't know if they've committed to him at any spot. And that's a bit disappointing because I thought that with what he had shown last year when he did get on the field, he was really productive, you know, with, with little playing time. And at this point, you know, going into year four, it, you know, I think you should have an idea of what he can give you. And... You know, maybe he's more of a utility defensive back. I think he could also play some corner even. You know, and that might be the problem, is that he could play corner, he could play nickel, he could play safety, but what is he really good at? I don't know. That's what they get paid to figure out. But um, you'd like to think that there'd be a spot for him beyond just picking up wherever... They need, you know, that on any given day. What do you think about the safeties as a group? I like their potential, but you don't have that guy that you know that you're like, oh yeah, like I know what he's going to be. I guess Marvell Tell, but I don't think he ever really lived up to what people expected him to end up being. So. I'm high and low on them at the same time. It's I'm high on their potential. I'm not sure if it's going to show up, though, right away. A couple things that, that stand out to me right now is they haven't had a star safety since probably Sua as a true freshman. And mm. now, that, I mean, you're going back five years. And, I mean, had Sua stayed there, then I'm sure he would have been better and gotten better and everything, but... You know, it's really been a while that they've had a star safety uh, making impact there. TJ McDonald really feels like the last. Yeah, one. right. And and so that's right before Sua, um, but I would count Sua as just because he moved off of that spot, and you only got one year of it, and they haven't had an enforcer since TJ McDonald either. Yeah. And can Bubba Bolden be both? Ooh. Maybe. I'm not sure yet. I'm not, I'm honest, I'm not completely sold on that happening 
quite yet. Who so. who do you like? Okay, so look, we we know Marvel Kell, and he is good, and he and he was all Pac-12, and he's a senior now. But after him, it's kind of open, right? You got Pollard, you got Polamau, you got Bolden, um, you got Killy, you you got Hufunga just got there. Tell me, out of that group. You can't, I mean, we can't be sold on anybody, obviously, but who do you like the most right now? Isaiah Polamau. Okay. I think he's the best athlete of the group, and that matters so much to me at safety, really. I, it, yeah. He has ball what, skills. He could, he, just to me, it, it's like he feels like, oh, he could be really, really special, maybe. I think Bolden could be, too. I'm just not as sold on him as an athlete. I actually think he's a really high-end athlete, and he's shown some things like that before, but I think Polamau is the special one athletically in that group, and so I'd pick him. Because in football, I think that that's what matters you know, the most 99% of the time. And I, I just think I think that they could play Polamau at receiver if they wanted to. Huh. I really do. He might not be their best option there, but yeah. he's uh, he seems like a different type. And the other ones to me, anyway. Well, for what it's worth, I mean, I've had players tell me that they think he's really good, and they think, I mean, you know, we, no one's talking about him, or they haven't for a while because he broke his collarbone last uh, August, and it's been a while now. And right now, we don't even know. Like, he was one of the guys. Him and Greg were limited in contact, and we're not clear yet on what that meant, but. They think he also has the most potential and uh, a real nose for the ball, and you know, just very smart. And you know, yeah, he is really long, and you know, I mean, six foot four, two hundred, just an interesting body. And yeah, I mean, I know, I know people. Body. Can you? How old are you, man? Uh, younger than JT Daniels. God. I can't help myself. That's not even the joke. I was gonna, there's going to be five in this podcast. Okay. All right. Stop well, teeing them up for me, Adam. We've gone through the offense and the defense, and I feel like the common thread here is that uh, the potential is great at nearly every spot, but at the same time, there's a lot of question marks, especially on defense, I find. And it's not so much question marks like I think they're going to be subpar in those spots but more so we don't know who's going to emerge and and I, again I think that's probably a good thing right now I felt like too many things were were already decided and and kind of known and uh put together too neatly almost the last couple of years. Yeah, I feel like it's been a problem for them. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, think about it. They, it felt like things were so decided that they picked a quarterback who's not even going to be drafted over a quarterback that's going to be possibly the number one overall draft pick. Yeah, and I mean, they're, they're eligible for the same draft. That's a good point. They're eligible for the same draft. Brown did not go to the combine. I mean, he's... Unless he's going to play in another league, you know, this is it. 
Um, that's a good point. That's a great point. Um, we're not going to do special teams right now because... What? There's like 40 don't... players to go through. <laughs> How can we ignore half the roster? If they start working on... <laughs> if they start working on return, then we'll cover that ground uh, later in the spring. But oftentimes, they do not... Adam, um, our listeners are clamoring to know who the sixth string scholarship <laughs> kicker will be. We have to tell them. Okay. Uh, isn't he from Australia or something? <laughs> they always are. <laughs> <laughs> it okay. just feels like every feels like half the roster's Australian now. So, <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> two things that we need to talk about. Okay. That we haven't yet. Um, Kim Drebino. Ah. And- Joseph Lewis. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're going to talk about Lewis. We did it last time. It was very fresh. Yeah. He'd been charged for a felony at that point when we last recorded. Uh, now it's been downgraded to misdemeanors, five counts. Oof. But uh, there are now two alleged incidents that were just within a week from one another that he's being charged for. And unfortunately, I I mean, no one wins here. You know, I I don't want to make light of any of it because it's way too serious. Um, But I mean, I talk about USC football here. That's my job. And so I'm going to speak on that. I'm not going to get into uh, what happened to the female because we don't know even what happened to her. And so, I, in fact, I saw someone on the board write, I hope that justice will be served. And and I, I couldn't agree more, right? Because yeah. um, that that's what is most important here, justice. But that that's for the court to figure out, you know, and, and that, that's not our business. But um, in terms of Lewis on the football team, I, I think that that's it. Yeah, I agree. I think mean, he's done. Yeah. I thought he had a chance um, because I, this is not going to involve Title Nine, from what I understand. And therefore, I thought, well, he probably was going to um, be in trouble with the law. Uh, you know, that that's where, where things stand right now. That's you know, the due process that he's dealing with, where I thought, okay, he potentially could, you know, face jail time even. Um, but I thought he could end up back on his team um, with what had been communicated to me about what had happened um, during the second incident, which I thought was the only incident. But now that I'm aware of a first one, um I, I almost feel like it's too big of a PR hit yeah. to have two incidents um, within a week apart, you know. Uh, I mean, it, I think this is it. And I do too. I, what, what's sad about it, again, because I'm, I'm not saying that he's a victim because I, I, I feel like that's, a, that's unfair. That's un- um, very unfair, yes. Yeah, and, and again, we don't even have details about what did or did not happen. So I want to be careful using that word, but um, he's 18. In fact, 
he has the same birthday as Juju Smith-Schuster. Oh, wow. Meaning, when he showed up to USC in the fall, no different than Juju did three years before him, he played that first season, last season, as a 17-year-old. He turned 18 the week of the UCLA game, just like Juju did at the end of the year. He just turned 18 three months ago. And I think that's just very sad. I do too. Anything that you see as a, you know, maybe I'm not seeing a different angle. Do you do you feel like he could end up back on his team? No. I no. don't. No. In fact, I, did you I, even do you even agree with me that before we learned that there were two incidents, um, once he'd been changed from felony to misdemeanor, did you think that he could then, or did you think he was already? Dead? I thought there was a shot because it's a misdemeanor, and it's if it's one incident, you know, what I mean? like I, I, I obviously don't know the details of the law, but I would think a misdemeanor, domestic violence or whatever it was, maybe you know. I could I could understand I could understand that if somebody if somebody came to me and said you know what I got a domestic violence thing on my record but it was a misdemeanor to me I would think maybe it was like loud arguing uh, unfortunate arm grab or something you know what I mean like I'm not excusing it but I would I just think that that's easy to get by when there's two incidents in the same week that's a pattern of domestic violence whether it's misdemeanor, felony, right? And I think mm-hmm. that at that point, I would think any major, you know, football program, any major company, you know, any, anything where there's, where the person involved is representing that institution and is a public figure, I, I don't think they're going to put up with that. I don't think anybody would, at the, especially nowadays. Maybe if this was in the 80s. Right, they brushed it under the rug or whatever, but I just I don't think so. I think that I think the two incidents did him in. I really do. I think there was hope until it was two. Yeah. The other thing that that kind of sticks with me about this whole situation is that if you look at the penal code for the charge that uh, the initial charges the language said that it would involve a, like a spouse or a co-inhabitant. I mean, Lewis obviously is not married, but this is someone that he was in a relationship with. And if if it's co-inhabitant, then essentially it's someone that was staying with him uh, in his apartment across the street from USC. Uh, He resides at the, the new university village right there on on Jefferson. And this is where all the freshmen move into. And again, 17, now 18 years old. Grew up around here, but living there, out of his house, obviously. And there's a female staying with him in this complex, which I don't know I was talking about this with someone uh, in the athletic department on Tuesday 
and both of us kind of were were kind of just kind of at a loss. Like, what what do you do about that? What can you what can you do? It, it's not like Clay Helton can go through each room and demand that, like, hey, all you know, all roommates and and people that that uh, that don't that don't belong here, you have to move out. I mean, there's only so much you can control. Oh yeah, no, I can tell you a personal story that when I was an 18 year old freshman in college, I had a girl basically move into my dorm room with me. And the college yeah. didn't do anything about it because what could they do? Do you know what I mean? She wasn't technically living there or whatever, so there's nothing to do. You know, you can just kind of make those decisions when you live on your own, and they're usually not smart. It's unfortunate. It's just an unfortunate situation. I think that, you know, sometimes when people care about each other, I assume that they cared about each other if they're living together. It, you you know you get terrible arguments like that, and I I honestly I shouldn't even speak more than that because I don't know what happened again. But yeah, no, we it's don't. Unfortunate. But, but it's unfortunate. I'm, I'm just saying we're talking about basically a kid, um, and likely another kid. You know, I, yeah. I don't know uh, her identity or anything like that, but I I'm assuming she's not 27. You know, and uh, I feel like we're dealing with a couple kids here. Yeah. Um, but because of the position that he was in. You know, like you're playing college football on scholarship at USC. I mean, he was one of the top-rated prospects in the country the year before. Yeah, that he's in an adult world. Look, that you can't be a kid when you're that person. You just can't look yeah. like I. I will be the first one to say it that I showed up to college. At, you know, I, I always thought I was smart. I always thought I was you know mature, well prepared, whatever else. I got into trouble in college in ways that where I would have been removed from the USC football team without question. And I would have been embarrassed nationally without yeah. question. Right. And it's something right. to remember because these kids, again, I am not excusing what Joseph Lewis did. I don't even know what he did and it could be terrible, but he's a kid and they're all kids. And when we're that age, you know, our brains aren't fully developed or whatever. And Sometimes we do things that are stupid, and a lot of people at that age, too, did a lot of stupid things and just never got caught and got away with it. And I've done that, too. So it is a shame because these are kids and sometimes not from the best situations or, you know, not with the best role models around. And it's it's very easy to get into big-time trouble when that's the case and when you're a national, you know, prominent figure, which you are if you're a star football player it's something that's going to embarrass you and haunt you for the rest of your life. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about Tim Trevino. Oh yeah. That other piece of news. Okay. Funny story here. When I found out that Drebno had officially parted ways with Michigan, this is in late February. It's, you know, really only a couple weeks ago. Um, the rumblings were there that they were going to separate, but it went down, I believe, like February 22nd or 23rd. I contacted him immediately because I had a feeling he was coming to USC. I, that's just what I thought. I, I wasn't even kept off or anything. I just thought, you know what? They have a, a coaching vacancy. They haven't been able to fill it. They, they need a running back coach. This guy's done a lot of different things. He, most recently a coordinator as well as offensive line coach. I know he's known for being an O-line coach, but he has coached running backs. 
Um, ultimately, he's an offensive coach, and if you've been around enough of them, they can usually coach multiple positions. T. Martin right now, he's been coaching receivers for the last, what, seven years? He didn't play receiver. That's not his background. Yeah, remember, we even wondered, maybe Key Martin would be the running backs coach. That was a possibility. So, I just got, I think Drevno is going to come back. Grew up in Torrance. Uh, went to Fullerton, I believe. Coached here before, just four years ago. And, you know, he's been with Harbaugh for, I, I believe, 14 out of the last 15 years. Wow. And the one year that he wasn't was here. Anyway, uh, Dremgo did not tell me he was coming, <laughs> as uh, coaches usually do if, if they're making a move. They, they rarely will, you know, just close that. But it turns out that he had not been contacted yet. In fact, he was just contacted about a week ago, maybe a little bit over a week ago. It was after I had contacted him. And maybe that's why I didn't tell you. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't happening yet. Um, but uh, it happened. That was a little bit of news that we were able to break over the weekend that he's their running back coach. Uh, additionally, he's their running game coordinator. And then the final nugget that we did not know until USC announced the hire is that he is the pass protection coordinator. Now, I'm curious. We need to have a conversation with each other before I get with Drebno on Tuesday. But when you heard that he was the pass protection coordinator, what did you think? When's he becoming the offensive line coach? Hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I had to find out what that meant. I mean, I, I Googled it. I looked, I looked around, and you don't find... In fact, I mean, what I kept finding was Drevno, you know, and with the hire. Um, but that's not a term or a label or a title that is thrown out much, even if, you know, I'm sure it's a role, a, a particular responsibility that that someone always has. But... They're not credited for it, maybe. Um, and it might just belong to the O-line coach, oftentimes. But I did talk to him about it. And um, he he broke it down. He, he said it basically came down to, you know, he, he pinpointed third down. And he said, you know, third down is a down where you're usually dealing with a different defense than you were on, you know, the pre the prior downs where you know they, they might blitz they have they might have a different uh a rusher coming um you can identify their their best pass rusher and find ways you said to put a sideboard on him um you know use different keys you want to solidify your protection especially on third down which is more often than not a, a pass rushing down so it makes a lot of sense. In fact, when he said it, it kind of just sounded basic, basically very simple and not that big of a deal. Um, so you can you can probably chalk some of this up to his clout, 
right? Because he was the OC at Michigan or co-OC for the last few years. And he's coming here. He's not the O-line coach. He's the running backs coach. I'm sure it's a kind of a negotiating tool. Uh, probably going to make a little bit more money than he would otherwise as just a running backs coach. But I want to get back to what you said. Ultimately, is it because he's going to be their O-line coach? Is that what you think? Yeah, I I don't know how you have an offensive line that struggled the way theirs did, how you're kind of unsure about the coaching there, and then you bring in a guy like Tim Drevno that has his resume and actually was the one offensive line coach at USC that felt like he kind of got the job done when he was there in recent history. And I don't know how how you know if you're Neil Calloway you're not thinking are they looking to replace me I'm not sure how you're USC and not thinking hey we could replace Calloway with this guy I also uh kind of brought me back to our lot our last podcast where you or we I should say discussed how USC didn't have an offensive coordinator in waiting did they listen to us yeah I'm sure that's what it was it was that right they they (laughs) listened Clay Helton and Max Nikias and Lynn Swan were listening to the Trojansports.com podcast and like, let's go get drive now because we need that offensive coordinator waiting. Um, so I think it's a huge hire, uh, you know, obviously, uh, because I think that, you know, running back coach, I think you could kind of put anybody there. I'm sure he'll be good at it. I think that you can, you know, you kind of have a guy there that has a resume that shows you can get the job done along the offensive line. You have an answer there. Uh, if you don't like Neil Calloway, and if T. Martin moves on, which it looks like he's been trying to do, uh, you have an answer there too. So I like it all. Uh, I feel like he has come in uh, with the understanding or that USC has the idea that he will eventually be promoted. It just makes too much sense. I mean, I don't know how you – I know that he wasn't incredibly popular as an offensive coordinator at Michigan or whatever – uh, during his time there, but I don't know how you go from that job to running backs coach without the understanding of like, hey, there could be other spots open for me on this staff, and I see them. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you right now, I don't think he came back here to become the O line coach per se. I think he came here to be a, be a, the next offensive coordinator. There you go. Yeah, I, and. It is funny that we talked about that because um, we were pretty hard on them uh, on the hiring approach and the makeup of the staff. And now I think quite a bit differently about the staff because of adding Tim Drevenel. Yeah, I you think, too. I think it, it makes that much of a difference when you have someone with that much success and experience coaching the offensive line. And it's not just... Okay, so here's the thing. Callaway's there, right? But what this means is that on a day-to-day basis, Callaway's responsible for coaching them up, you know, working on their their fundamentals, their techniques. You know, uh, Clay talked about their hands needing to be better. He said that was a team-wide issue, but obviously that would include the offensive line. 
that's something where you know Callaway will will do the the dirty work there, and I don't really question whether he's qualified to do that. Of course he is. He's been doing it since before I was born. But to have Drevno involved and responsible for um, the the run design and then the the blocking, the, the protection for it, right? Um, meaning, like, how things are supposed to function. I, I think it's great to have that person overseeing both elements because what I've seen, I, I mean, what, what I've seen, I feel like, for the last two years, um, despite their success on offense, I feel like there's there's been... Too many times where there hasn't been a marriage between what the O line is doing, like where they're going, and where the play's going, and where they're trying to run the ball, specifically with the running game. It seems like they've been on different pages, and I know the communication has been a problem too. That was clear as day in the Ohio State game. I mean, you should be able to get to the quarterback when you're rushing three, right? That's yeah. just Real, I mean, even with a physical beat, you, that shouldn't happen. But that's because of bad communication. But I mean, you look at so many big games. Uh, I'll I'll call them out right now: the Alabama game, the Penn State game. I know they won, but they did not run the ball well in that game. Um, the the Ohio State game, the Notre Dame game, they could not run the ball. The Washington State game. They, Rojo broke the, the 86 yarder, and they, they really, I mean, I felt like they kind of gave up on it, but they did not run the ball well aside from that one play. And so these are their losses, right? Uh, and, and again, the Rose Bowl as well, they did not run the ball well in that game. USC cannot get to where they want to go to if they're not going to be able to run the ball, uh, impose their will in the running game on a regular basis. It doesn't mean that you're you're perfect in every game, you're right? I mean, not yeah. with their quarterback play. Usually, like they can get away with not running the ball great sometimes. Um, the Texas game, they got away with it. I mean, boy, did they get away with it? They couldn't do anything in the running game, and it took that miracle drive from Darnold, and then you know his heroics in overtime, coupled with the the field goals. And but, Clay Helton out coaching Tom Herman. <laughs> They have to run the ball better. They have to be better in that in that regard. And this year, they might be a run-first team. I think they need to be a run-first team. They do. So, I really like this hire for those reasons because I think Dremno is going to fill that void, uh, not only of McCullough, but also Tyson Helton. You know, I get the, the sense that Dremno is the one that's going to be uh, building this game plan with T. Martin and, of course, Clay Helton. And and that was my concern, you know, just a couple weeks ago, is, like, who's your other coordinator on the staff? Because a great staff doesn't just have their one coordinator for defense and their one coordinator for offense. They have another guy who doesn't have to be the co-OC, but he has to drop his game plan. I mean, the report was out there that um, that Brian Ellis, the quarterbacks coach, 
was calling plays with Key Martin in the bowl game. That's not something that we've confirmed. It wouldn't surprise me if it happened. And and that's kind of the way things were, I think, uh, for USC. If, it, if, if, if that's true, in fact, I actually believe it. And I believe it because I think they already appointed Brian Ellis the quarterback's coach. I think they already knew what they were doing. And therefore, they were using him in that role because they anticipated him being involved uh, you know, moving forward in that way. But now I feel like, okay, with Drebno, it you're not putting so much weight on, on Brian Ellis. He can kind of learn under Key Martin and learn under Drebno. So I really like the tire for a lot of reasons. Uh, the other part I like about it uh, is that this is an individual that I think is going to be there uh, with Clay for the long haul. Um, unlike you and McCullough, who, hey, you, one and done, and he was excellent. But that just wasn't someone that they were going to be able to keep. And so you, the last thing you really wanted was another guy that would come and, and go within a year. But I, I actually asked Drebno directly. I said, are you going to be one and done again? And uh, he said, you know, that's something that my wife and I talked about. He said that he wants to be here for a long time. And, you know, being here means a lot to him. And, I mean, obviously, he's not going back to Harbaugh, right? So I kind of feel like last time around, he probably would have stuck around if it wasn't for the opportunity that he had with Harbaugh at Michigan. Because that's really the only other person he's been working with for the last 15 years. But now that that's off the table, then he's a local guy. And he has a family. And I think that they're... I think they're they're entrenched here now. He said, if I can stay forever, I'll stay forever and grow old. And while that doesn't really happen with assistant coaches, I do expect him to ride this wave um, as long as he can with Clay Helkin at USC. Wouldn't we all stay at USC forever if we could, Adamaya? <laughs> I believe Tim Drevno will, or could, or maybe might. Who knows? But that about wraps it up for our show. Uh, a long show, I believe, if you look back. I'll you didn't feel like that. Be right on the money with my time prediction earlier, about a few hours ago, when I made that prediction. But, uh, hey, we appreciate you guys sticking with us and listening. Uh, just want to say quickly, if you're not a member of Trojansports.com, you need to sign up. It's usc.rivals.com slash sign underscore up. Lots of great reasons to be on the website right now. We have a lot of coverage coming from spring practice. Adam Maya is doing a great job. Absolutely killing it right now. Um, we break a lot of news. Jackie Jones, broken by us. Uh, Tim Drebno, broken by us. Joseph Lewis, I'll give it to us as well. Why not? Uh, we break everything pretty much. So so get on our side if you're not. and Because if you're not, you're missing out on a lot. Also, tons of recruiting updates. You know, that's what Rivals.com is all about. That's the Rivals way, is recruiting. And we got a bunch of a Rivals uh, camp in Los Angeles. Rivals 3-stripe camp was recently. And I got updates from, I think, about uh, 16 kids that were there that are big-time USC targets. Also, the week before, uh, USC had a big recruiting weekend, and I had tons of updates from that. There's always updates. If a kid gets an offer, kid was... 
kid from Pennsylvania visited USC for the first practice, got an offer. Trojansports.com is the only website to have a story on him getting the offer. That's the kind of coverage you can expect from us, so sign up, please. There's a lot more coming. Obviously, we're in the middle of spring. Uh, you're going to get all the news every day from Adam Maya, and I'm sure he'll eventually report when JT Daniels goes and buys Brian Ellis his first beer. With that... <laughs> I will leave you all. Thank you for listening. Thank you for taking my jokes. Adam, I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Stay on the website. We love you. Take care. I got to go.